this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host d sampath in the last week of april twitter's board of directors unanimously accepted billionaire businessman elon musk's buyout offer of 44 billion dollars the deal is currently pending regulatory approval but as and when it goes through it will allow musk to take twitter private giving him complete control over what he has described as a i quote de facto public town square now will the spacex and tesla ceo do a good job of managing what is a politically sensitive platform like twitter musk has said that he is a free speech absolutist but many have interpreted it to mean that Twitter may then stop censoring hate speech and flagging disinformation the way it does currently. So as Twitter changes hands, what are the likely implications for users? That's the question we are looking at in this edition of InFocus. And our guest today is Apar Gupta, who is an advocate and executive director at the Internet Freedom Foundation. Apar, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Sampath. I look forward to this conversation. Apar, many users have welcomed the Musk buyout. not necessarily because they have high hopes from him and what he may do to the platform but but they also believe that the current twitter is unsustainable and doing a lot of damage for whatever reasons various reasons in terms of how its policies operate and opacity and so on so to start with are you happy with the way twitter is operating currently you know it with its policies on moderation verification etc to name just a couple of issues that have been flagged by users including musk so uh, sampath a much more evidentiary response to this question is that ranking digital rights which is an international organization and has developed a methodology by which they grade uh, social media uh, entities as per their transparency on content moderation practices and twitter ranks fairly highly when compared to let's say meta platforms which is facebook instagram what this essentially means is that content moderation which is a mix of automated classification where the algorithm runs human reviewers who specifically flag things and uh, professional fact checkers by themselves are a very complex ecology but to a certain extent twitter does make available and publishes its policies now am i happy with how those policies are actually enforced for specific content moderation actions where it removes tweets or it removes accounts by itself i would say no still a lot of work needs to be done there but twitter ranks fairly favorably when compared to the others but this is a relative assessment i would say much more needs to be done okay so you you think twitter ranks fairly uh, favorably compared to uh, other platforms but but many would argue that platforms like you know the meta platforms facebook is hardly you know uh, a paragon of excellence when it comes to you know these these kinds of uh, issues we are basically uh, we are basically in a group of backbenchers selecting the best student but coming to the basic underlying problem as is being again and again being asserted by many people in the civil society tech policy sector has been that the underlying economic model of social media is what is rotten because it is aimed towards deriving greater degree of data points they were conducting surveillance on users and then selling it to advertisers by itself what this does is it builds certain incentives in the product in the engineering design by which people can be kept longer and more engaged thereby promoting 
a content which is divisive, which is polarizing, which is shocking in a way by itself. So by itself, I would say Twitter still has that uh, fundamental economic uh, uh, model. And uh, this is the larger question for Musk because he's not spoken on how he hopes to make Twitter profitable and yet sustainable at the same time. Right. Now, to move to a, like a different kind of a, a question here, is it intrinsically a terrible idea for a public, for what is a public platform and is also at the same time a very powerful tool of propaganda and of molding public opinion? Such a platform, can it be privately owned at all in the first place, regardless of how noble-minded the private owner may be? So, um, let me support your question first with certain facts. India is Twitter's third largest market. It pays in comparison in absolute numbers of users to the meta platforms. It only has about 23 million as per Statista. And if you compare the number of YouTube views um, uh, in a year, that will be about 600 million, 700 million. Uh, Facebook users will be about 300 to 400 million. So it pays in comparison. But even with 23 million, it can set national discourse. That's because international world leaders are there. Journalists are there and sometimes news not only breaks but is made on Twitter. So in some ways it is, as Musk calls it, the digital town square. But it is the town square for the world itself, more particularly India. Here the private ownership goes back to the underlying economic model. Now Musk has been saying and a lot of commentators have been saying, well the pressure on defense of free speech and democratic principles will be much more strongly asserted given that it won't be a publicly listed company focusing on shareholder profit maximization and thereby selling ads or doing things which are politically convenient in order to turn a profit. But if it's even privately held through Twitter, uh, through uh, Elon Musk's personal wealth, the larger question is for it to be sustainable, it still needs to make money. Even though he's the richest man in the world, he can't keep funding a vanity project in eternity without it turning a dollar. So, in a sense, I would say the model, whether it is listed on the public markets or is it privately held by itself, actually does put a large question mark on the democratic function being played by social media itself. And here, I'm not aiming for perfection. If people are saying, oh, the answer may be nationalization, etc., it may be through regulatory oversight, better transparency, and actually bringing in the kind of laws which are needed when you do recognize something is playing such an important function rather than relying on a billionaire gatekeeper's good intentions. Right. Uh, speaking of good intentions and uh, in particular Musk's intentions in his uh, in his uh, decision to buy Twitter, he himself has said that you know, his primary motivation is to ensure that it remains a politically neutral space that upholds free speech principles better than it does currently. And he has called himself a free speech absolutist. Now, how seriously can we uh, take this claim? Can we take it at face value? Because, I mean, he has also said that uh, it's not about money, it's about uh, principles. And coming from a billionaire and some would say oligarch, uh, I don't know how seriously one is uh, expected to take this claim. So, I, I do believe that he does have some sort of grievance or he's driven by uh, a very, if you read uh, several of uh, the much more critical assessments about Elon Musk and how he's run his company, it's essentially through a force of personality. 
uh, and um, translating his vision into an engineering reality. So it does become important for us to uh, understand his intent. And here the the press release, which was accompanying the uh, the buyout, uh, is essentially this. He says free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy, and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. Now, even though he's saying vital to the future of humanity, I think it's a bit inward looking when he says free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy because it's singular. Which one? Is it just the United States? Is he even thinking about India? And this becomes important because then the specific proposals, for instance, he's made are very significant. One seems to support free speech in which he says he supports full algorithmic a disclosure of how content is ranked and this will be great for transparency. Many people will need uh, get to know why do they see certain things on Twitter ranked by the algorithm and researchers will be able to actually know why Twitter is taking certain actions in preferring content one over the other. But at the same point in time, he says that only real users need to be on Twitter and some sort of authentication needs to be done. This would tremendously undermine the democratic promise itself of Twitter, especially in countries which have imperfect rule of law systems, like in India, where actually people rely on anonymity and pseudonymous accounts quite often to voice dissent or even to call out instances of harassment, like the Me Too movement, for fear of reprisal or vexatious legal action. So I would say his views are not well formed. And if I can just quote Susan Nossel, who's the chief executive officer of PEN America in a recent piece in Tech Policy Press, this is what she says. It's quite good. She says, Musk will learn the hard way that there is no return to a mythic online Eden where all forms of speech flourish in a miraculous harmony. I think she's quite right. Right. No, you you just mentioned that uh, Musk was insisting that there are only real users now, I had interpreted uh, to mean something else. I had thought what he meant was uh, you should not have these uh, millions of bots uh, which function as you know troll armies amplifying all kinds of hate speech and so on. So that doesn't really uh, preclude real users who are anonymous, does it? No, it does. You know, see, here's the thing. When you start removing bots, how do you remove bots? Uh, bots will also sign up with the same kind of information uh, which a real user will. An email, identification, contact detail, uh, sign-up details by itself. The existing approach in removing bots has been on the basis of the kind of behavior they engage, not focusing on the sign-up by itself. Thereby, if you induce any kind of authentication mechanism at the time of the sign-up itself, Sampath, such as demanding a government ID, etc., it links a person's real-world identity with the user itself. Now, given that we do have a difference amongst ourselves as well, how this will play out, I think it is important that these policies continue to be also documented much more transparently in terms of the platform level changes implemented. I am also voicing this concern given that this is an existing proposal in uh, the data protection bill for social media regulation and also is under the IT rules. So it is not as if these are proposals which are being pulled out without a substantial basis in underlying regulatory conversations and proposals within India itself, which are justified quite often to remove misinformation or to cure other kinds of online harm. 
right so you're saying that see let's keep aside the legal as legal aspect for a moment just purely uh, in terms of technology and whatever you uh, know tools we have available uh, is it not possible to protect a user's digital identity as in keep it private and keep it anonymous and at the same time authenticate it in a robust way so that real users who wish to remain anonymous remain anonymous and their anonymity is protected by law whereas bots are weeded out based on user behavior and you know you could also use captcha whatever all those things is that not possible it's it's certainly possible by itself but for a platform on scale it will look towards uh, inducing some kind of uh, see the thing is if you're posed with a captcha fairly regularly to weed out bots by itself it will induce friction in the platform and i hope that these kind of tools are implemented given the degree of bots which do pollute uh, not only twitter but also set discourse by hijacking trending topics but i do need to indicate this risk it also comes from if any kind of identity mechanism is introduced or insistence on real world identity is also made it can result in a kind of a facebook kind of uh, vision where facebook already has policies where people need to sign up by their real names by itself and is enforced by taking down accounts however at the same time these kind of policies which have been implemented through product changes have not resulted in a reduction of disinformation bias i would say that this will require greater scrutiny at present let me also assume good faith sampath maybe maybe he is able to work out a solution uh, maintaining uh, uh, this kind of maintaining this kind of uh, uh, value of free speech democratic promise while at the same time removing the bots without individually increasing the threats on users who are there in countries where there are imperfect rule of law systems right now uh, coming to uh, the reactions to the takeover uh, by musk i mean uh, we have seen already on twitter especially from the west there has been a lot of hostility to it and many of uh, uh, the individuals and groups which are uh, not very happy with this development uh, believe that uh, the free speech uh, discourse which musk has been sort of uh, trading in is essentially a free pass for hate speech and uh, it could uh, really you know open the floodgates for a mass of disinformation and manipulation of public opinion and even possibly the return of donald trump to the platform do you think these fears are justified to me a lot of the fears which are being voiced are being voiced uh, by uh, people who are on twitter i think are invested in the platform to a large degree in terms of uh, their day to day discourse their social connections what they talk about and quite frankly see the the issue also arises because when you are a publicly listed and traded company you may be serving shareholder profit uh, but you do make disclosures to the securities exchange commission is a high degree of oversight activist investors can actually push through certain agenda items by consolidating together whereas in a privately owned entity you are guided by the visions of a single person some of this comes from pre-existing suspicion of uh, the concentration of power around silicon valley founders who have amassed tremendous wealth and over the years even influence almost becoming digital gatekeepers so it's not only elon musk and twitter it's a larger uh, perceptive uh, apprehension which comes from 
across the political spectrum of people such as Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Reed Hastings, etc., etc., etc. So due to their power and influence and their outsized ability to shape public narrative discourse, there's a large question mark, specifically with respect to Donald Trump, his deplatforming from the platform itself. These are legitimate questions also, I would say. If he is not being prosecuted by itself and being found guilty and sentenced by a court for a specific period of time to do a specific period of uh, do a penalty by itself, uh, then a private platform is judging by itself why a public figure is being deplatformed, their effect on democratic discourse and how long that deplatforming will exist. And if the deplatforming is perpetual, it's not time limited to, let's say, two years or three years, it will put a large question mark. Now, let me just, I'm no fan of Donald Trump, but I would pose this as a question to the listeners. If Donald Trump does win the Republican nomination, is it fair for one of the spaces for uh, which, core spaces for democratic, uh, the digital town square, not to even have the presence of the principal contender? For the uh, presidency, and that's that's what I think needs greater transparency in content moderation practices, better access for researchers, and I hope that is the direction of transparency, accountability, uh, which is a much more substantive understanding of free speech. Learning through actions is what uh, must adopts rather than very simplistic adolescent uh, views of uh, free speech um, uh, and offending the left and the right equally, things like that. Yeah, no, I think it's a very valid point which you flagged. I mean, you spoke about concentration of power and I've been thinking about uh, this particular aspect and I was wondering what your thoughts on this a uh, little more because the concentration of power is not only at the level of the owner, which is one in this case, you spoke about Jeff Bezos and we've got others like this, you know, Bill Gates and, uh, and so many other uh, tycoons from the Silicon Valley and at one level, it's individual ownership for a particular sector, be it retail or, you know, windows or whatever it is in terms of monopoly the second level there is concentration of power in terms of one particular uh, section which is the silicon valley tech billionaire section you know they seem to have uh, they seem to wield an enormous amount of control over the economy because economy and politics as well because of the nature of uh, how technology has come to uh, determine multiple spaces and multiple dynamics in different uh, geographies in different sectors in different domains of life and thirdly, of course, it is uh, geography as well, because you, you mentioned that uh, Musk spoke of democracy, you know, free speech and democracy. He didn't speak of democracies. So, and we do see how in, in, a, in a lot of uh, different contexts, and especially in the ongoing Ukraine war as well, we see that uh, many people have flagged Twitter, rightly or wrongly, as US-affiliated media. So there is this sense uh, in the South, global South, that Twitter seems to be sort of... Uh, uh, not just Twitter, even other platforms that they seem to be in a way uh, moving in lockstep with the interests of the West and the Western governments. So what are your thoughts on these concerns which are emanating from the global source, from the margin, so to speak? So the global south, firstly, is not captured in the policy conversations in Silicon Valley itself to the degree it requires. It's primarily um, transatlantic, it's Eurocentric. It's also primarily centric to the United States. They're inward looking as much as they're serving large global markets where the largest number of their users 
just in terms of absolute numbers, not in terms of revenue, are outside these geographies. This displays in core decisions where, for instance, meta platforms will say that we spent X amount of money on global moderation, but only 9% of it will be classified for rest of the world outside the United States. And I'm, I'm going a little slowly here because I want people to pause for thought. Does it actually behove these kind of companies to uh, serve uh, global markets whether without deploying the kind of resources which keeps their product safe? We have to think about technology as a product because ultimately the internet today, which has been designed, is designed around commerce. It's a mad scramble to dominate clicks and eyeballs towards advertising revenue and towards us to prompt it to be certain actions to pay and part with certain data or direct money. Now, the problem which has really, really increased over a period of time is that due to the disproportionate nature of the winner takes all, um, due to several economic reasons, technical reasons uh, in the technology markets, there is a concentration of power which results eventually in a small class of people and by itself, they do not only have visions for their companies. If you notice what they say again and again in their shareholder meetings, beyond the shareholding meetings, sorry, in their annual keynotes, in their letters, so for instance, Jeff Bezos' letters to shareholders, etc., they're mythologized. That's because they have visions not only for shaping companies, they have visions for shaping society by itself, globally. They're shooting for the moon. They have far future uh, ambitions, which is towards extending life, interplanetary travel, while the rest of the world, especially South Asia, if you look at it, still has acute problems of poverty, is, is having great amounts of disparity and by itself doesn't fit within those visions. So I will stop here, Sampad, but I would say that there's a growing amount of literature, but some of it may also need to be focused specifically from South Asia, where we have our own unique problems. Because these kind of absolute visions coming back to it of free speech may not work in a market such as India, which is seeing high levels of hate speech. And at the same point in time, the government has had historic battles with Twitter, where Twitter quite often has said that certain actions and directions issued to it by the Indian government do not comport with uh, the rule of law. So how will Twitter continue to operate in India is also a big question mark. But all of this, again, is a question to be answered by Elon Musk. And I say this is a real problem. How can we rely on the good actions, the good intent of one Silicon Valley billionaire? It's placing too much trust. Right. I think you you, you made a nice point here about you know this fundamental disjunction between uh, the top concerns of the audiences and the users who are being served by this uh, Silicon Valley behemoths, where the concerns are at the level of keeping body and soul together, poverty, as you said, and you know, just basic, you know, many, most of them are at survival or a little bit above survival level, whereas here, the companies who are serving uh, these people who are basically uh, offering, let us say, social media services, are thinking about uh, interplanetary travel and, you uh, know, at that level. So this disjunction is something which is going to affect in many ways how uh, society is shaped and there is going to be conflict at multiple levels. We'll come back to that probably in, a, in another episode. Now we are running out of time. So one final question. Uh, how do you see Musk's other business interests, especially Tesla, which has a huge manufacturing base in China, impinging on how he manages Twitter, specifically in this free speech context, because China is not particularly known for 
upholding free speech principles and if he has uh, uh, Tesla's interest at stake in China, how do you see that dynamic uh, playing out? Actually, the China dynamic is relevant, but prior to that, I'll just uh, also like to flag that uh, for all these statements about free speech, Tesla as a company has also fired an engineer in the past for posting reviews of the auto uh, driver feature in Tesla cars. Uh, so it's not a free speech back bastion internally. It doesn't apply that value internally. Secondly, um, uh, it does have a plant in China. It is a sizable market uh, for um, uh, Tesla. Um, but uh, I would say that we can similarly also think about the United States, right? Because what is the influence of United States on Twitter? And this is, a, I've come to this much more evolved way of thinking by a conversation with several young people who say that, why do you not view the influence, outsized influence the United States has? And is it all a positive influence in its uh, sum? Um, because um, he has another company, right? SpaceX. And where does he get the contracts from? That's NASA, right? So by itself, uh, I would say that much needs to be um, uh, understood about it. And we are also presuming certain action by the Chinese in trying to mold global public opinion through Twitter platform changes through Elon Musk. I would say let's wait and watch. But this is a relevant issue for us to focus attention on. Um, I can't uh, gaze in the crystal ball, Sampath. And in interest of time, I'll just see the case. Sera, sera. Uh, let's, let's, let's see what happens in future. Right. Uh, we will have to see what happens in the future. We have to wait. Uh, there is also regulatory approval which is pending. And uh, they need to get uh, clearances not just in the US, but also there are EU regulations, the new Digital Services Act. But at the end of the day, yeah, yeah. At, at the end of the day, it does look uh, a quite not very uh, rosy picture from the global south. When you have, if you look at the broader picture, you've got Twitter, you've got Google, Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, IBM, Cisco. They are all based in one particular country, one particular location. They are all one set, you could even say, and they are going to be uh, sort of trying to concretize and execute their vision of how the future is, how society is, and uh, we don't know to what extent other sections of uh, the global population have, uh, do they have any agency in this conversation? Do they have any agency in terms of influencing, participating in this conversation? We don't really know. So thank you so much, Apar. Is there any final words you want to add before we wind up? Uh, yeah, just uh, one thing to listeners. I would say that um, I know a lot of you will disagree with me and that comes from Elon Musk's success in achieving his vision, translating into reality, delivering that kind of promise to people of things which we thought were not possible. I would say hold on to that promise, but please be critical and let's revisit this conversation after a year because it will be important for us to revisit this conversation given the importance of Twitter as a platform. So it is necessary as much as we presume good faith to be critical and be watchful and see what are the results of Musk's takeover given that they will be significant periodically. Right. I'm sure there will be a lot of conversations about the takeover of the public town square by one individual in the public town square. We will be watching. Thank you so much, Upper, for sharing your thoughts and insights. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Fahid. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu.
We'll see you soon.